just out of curiosity, because I'm dying to know, how many people here would call themselves evening people at Artisan? Yeah, that's what I thought. And how many tried and true faithful morning people do I have? And how many... No, I, w I won't make first-timers raise their hand. That's just evil. <laughs> Fantastic. We've got, we've got some brave ones. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And we're going to be wrapping up a series today that we've called Change. Because here at Artisan, if this is the first time you've been here or the hundredth time, um, it's, all, it's all true. We've been going through some change here as a congregation. Uh, two weeks ago, one of our founding pastors, uh, Brian Hake, put in his resignation and delivered his last sermon. And that's change. We're, we're left to deal with that. We're left to figure out what to do. Brian talked about the kind of change where, where you're presented with the change comes to you. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure we've experienced that. There, there are probably people here who've gone through their work week thinking that this is just, this is just any old week, and then Friday, 4.30 rolls around, and your supervisor calls you into the office and says, it's been a pleasure working with you, and hands you a pink slip, and you're out the door. That's a change that's put on you. It's a change that came to you. You know, or you've been that person who's been, receives a phone call, hey, come and meet me for coffee. You know, oh, I want to meet you for coffee. And you meet for coffee, and the person across the table says, I think we need to break up. You know, you're the, and, and that thing lands right in your lap. I know we've been there. I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. Where, where change that you don't expect comes right to you and lands right in your lap, and you're left to deal with it. You know, there, there are stories in Scripture of some of, the, some of the, the saints of our faith who have stuff just dropped right on their doorstep, like the story of Jonah. Jonah, an Old Testament writer and prophet, um, God comes to him and says, Jonah, Jonah, buddy, pal, I want you to go to a faraway land to people that you don't even really like very much, and I want you to call them to repentance. And he's left to deal with that. His response initially was, no, I don't want to. And then you've got Moses, another Old, Old Testament guy. God comes to him and says, Moses, I want you go into Egypt, and I want you to tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. His response, it was kind of, says, but I'm a stutterer. You know, I'm labored in my speech, and I don't look anything like that guy from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> to which God says, Mark Wahlberg? says, no, 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 no. The, the, you know, Ten Commandments guy, Charlton Heston. I don't look anything like that guy. 
all the while, that change still happened. The changes that God was going to have happen through those people fell into their lap. And regardless of whether or not they put up a fight, happened anyway. We also, last week, heard from Pastor Jason, who talked about those times when change is more something you initiate. It's something that you see. You know it's coming. You know that you're going to call in your buddy and on a Friday afternoon at 4.30, and you're going to say, yeah, we're going to need you to move your desk to the basement. <laughs> we're going to need you to come in on Saturday. You know, th- this is your last day here. And, and you're the one making that change. Or you're the one at the coffee shop saying, it's not you, it's me. We've been there. We've done that. Sometimes it's us that actively initiates the change. And Jason referenced a story, Paul and Barnabas, two New Testament guys who started off as a team. They, they, they were the guys. And the further they went along their journey, the more that they realized they were kind of going apart. They had two different callings. They had two different directions. Neither was right. Neither was wrong. But they had two different directions to go, and it was time to part ways. And someone had to make that call. Someone had to initiate that change. So we've seen, we've seen over the past two weeks, we've seen examples of two different kinds of changes. The kind that happens to you and the kind that you bring to someone else. And so I'm left with, <laughs> I'm left with cleanup. I'm, I'm the last guy in the series. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself this week, what else do we need to say? What else do you need to say about change? Jason said last week, change is constant. The variable is people. What more do you need to say? So I spent the week thinking about it. And I realized that you all and me to, to a certain extent, we're kind of hitting this change from a different perspective. We're not necessarily initiating a change. And the change isn't necessarily happening to us. But this is the kind of change that happens to someone else or something else and completely changes the game. And we have absolutely no control over that change. It's the kind of change that completely affects us but isn't about us at all. And that's the that's a whole different level of change. We'll get back to that. But I want to tell you guys a story. Because that's kind of that's my style. I, I tend not to 
For, the, for those of you who are first-timers, you've never heard me speak. For those of you who are regulars, you probably still have never heard me speak. <laughs> for those of you who are here in German house days, who was here during German house days? Who saw naked pastors? All right. Who wants to relive naked pastors? <laughs> no, we weren't actually naked. But, but we wanted, as a staff, we wanted to lay the groundwork that this is a very transparent congregation. We don't, we don't want this to be a place where you've got to hide the things you're going through. You know, we've handled this, our change as a congregation, as, as much as is appropriate, out in the open. And dealing with it together, not hiding behind something. We started that with Naked Pastors. And during the Naked Pastors series... I talked about my family, which is about the most whacked group of people you've ever met. We, we show love in a very odd way by, by basically lying to each other. Um, <laughs> we pull practical jokes on each other all the time. Like I was the kind of kid, um, 10, 11 years old, I'm doing recon work when my, after my parents go to bed. I'm sneaking into their room day in and day out, to find out which side of the bed my dad sleeps on. You know, and I write it down. Okay, dad slept on the right side. Okay. On day five, I go in, and I know that if I put Morton salt all over the right side of the bed, that that would be really funny, and that it'll only happen to my dad, because if I salt my mother's side of the bed, I am dead. Like, there, there is... I will not see the light of day on Saturday. But if I salt my dad's side, then it's on. You know, and I'd tie my dad's feet to the bed. I'd put stuff in his shoes. You know, we did all sorts of goofy stuff. And, and so, so I, I learned it by watching them. Fast forward a couple of years. My folks... Um, received this leaflet in the mail. Mass mailer. Wouldn't think anything about it. And my mother brings it into the, to the lunch table on summer vacation and says, Look, Lenny, my father, the information from Valley Forge Military Academy has arrived. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? You are hottie. My father left a roll of Canadian quarters in his glove compartment in case he got drafted. And he said to me to military school for five days. I was going to military school. <laughs> all, all the way to getting phone calls from entrance examiners. Oh, you're, you're a late applicant and uh, you're, you're unable to come for an interview. So we're just going to do this one right over the phone. And, and, you know, I'm answering these questions and my mother is crying and I'm thinking she's heartbroken. She's sending her kid to military school. <laughs> No, no, she's soul dead. And she's like, she's bawling. She's bawling because it's so darn funny. And it is. And that was a change. For five days, all the rules changed. It's, it's funny now, but in the moment, the whole game changed. My whole worldview my whole plan of playing summer ball and going and playing JV ball and, 
you know, get perfecting my curveball. Nobody needs a curveball at Valley Forge. My whole worldview changed, and it was pretty significant. So I paid them back. <laughs> I, how many college students are here? How many people fresh out of college? Did you? Did your folks ever send you that email, so how are classes going? Like the third week of class? Yeah, mom did too. And she sent me the email, how are classes going? And I decided to be snarky, because it's, it's what you do. And I responded, well, mom, I'm sure Hartwick is wonderful. It's beautiful in January. Um, but I haven't been to classes. I have to, I have to be straightforward. Um, I stopped out because I felt it was the right thing to do. I got, I got myself a job. I'm work, I've got 40 hours. I may pick up another job later in, later in the evening, work C-shift or something. And I've got an apartment, so we got that settled. And, you know, we're really we're just trying to do all the right things because, you know, my girlfriend and I, we, we've decided we're going to keep the baby. And I'm not kidding. I, I, I just thought that that was the funniest thing in the world. Because, because for me, I know that my mother is very tech savvy and that she's going to go, Urgh! and then she's going to scroll down because she'll see the scroll bar and she'll see that I didn't sign it. And she'll scroll down and she'll see me say, ha, 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 just kidding, classes are fine, yada, yada, yada. But she didn't. Her whole... Because her whole worldview changed. Right there. She reads the email, goes, and realizes that she's got to explain to my girlfriend's dad why my girlfriend was pregnant. You know, and it was it was a very difficult moment for her and and for my father. They called my girlfriend in Ithaca, and they said, they said, are you okay? Dear, is there anything we can do? And she says, no, because I didn't tell her anything. I didn't expect this. This was, this was gold. Uh, no, is Michael there? No. Okay. Then I get a call later that night. Michael? Yes, Mom. How are you, Michael? Yes, it still hasn't sunk in yet. Michael, what can I do for you, Mom? You know, what's, what's going on? That's, how could you? And she just tore in, and I hear my father stomping in the background. That, that good for nothing. I'm going to have to look up to his, her father and explain to him why my son knocked his daughter off. It, at, at, at that point, I, I'm, uh, they, were, they were partially angry at me because I wasn't saying anything because I was doing one of these laughs. You know that one? I was gasping for air. It was the funniest thing. I loved it. And when I broke it to them, it, it was, it was, there was a pause. And, that, and, and then I hear my mother go, Lenny, he's kidding. Click. Yes. And it was gold. It was gold. But again, all seriousness. For a day and a half, my parents' worldview changed. Something happened to me, and now their life is drastically different. 
Fast forward three weeks. About, uh, it was February 12th, because we're coming around about the 12th or 13th anniversary of it. Um, I get an email that said, Michael, I need you to come home. That's, all, that's basically all it said. I need you to come home this weekend as soon, you know, as, it was a Friday, as soon as you can. I'm like, all right. And later that day, I get a phone call. Michael, are you coming home? And, and I said, yes, I'm, I'm coming. Michael, you need to come home right now because I just got back from the oncologist and I have cancer. My first response was, you are sick. That is like the cruel, I mean, I've pulled some really dirty jokes, but that's just cruel. Except for the fact that it was completely true. And my world changed. Because, you know, say, say what you will about pulling practical jokes and whether or not you actually love each other. When my mom got cancer, my life changed. And I desperately groped for something solid to hang on to because everything underneath me was eroding. It, it, it was a painful, painful time of change that I had no control over. And so as I was thinking about this this week, you know, a pastor moving on is, is very different from, from mom getting cancer maybe on, on like a dramatic level. But at the end of the day, it's still, it is a change that affects our life here that we have no control over. And so as I was thinking about what to say to you guys today, I was thinking the question, when, when change happens, what do you grasp for? And think about that for a second. What do you reach for? So, somebody shout out. What, th- think about a time when, some, when something around you changed significantly and it really affected your life. What was, what was the knee jerk? What was the first thing you grasped onto? Cigarettes, Cigarettes chocolate, beer, beer. <laughs> another person, music. music. Somebody in the morning said music too. Video games, kind of an alt, almost an alternate second life kind of thing, too. For me, for me, it was I grabbed onto I grabbed onto friends, desperately, and I grabbed in the kind of way where I would push on them really hard. I would re- I'd really test them because I want to know as. As everything, you know, as this iceberg is breaking up and I'm floating out to sea, if I grab onto you, are you stable or am I going to fall over? Because you're just a person too and you might. I don't know. Those are all fine things to grab onto. But I would suggest that there may be a better thing to grab onto. And it's so remarkably Sunday school. I know this. But truly, I think we need to grasp onto Jesus when those things fall apart. When, and and I, see, I see people smirking 
in the same way that I did when I was thinking about it this week. But I want you to walk with me on this one. It is simple and profound all at the same time. Put yourself in the shoes of the woman who darts through the crowd. She is pushing people aside left and right because she has got to get to Jesus. And she grabs onto his cloak. Or put yourself in the shoes of those guys who said, you know what, I have heard, I've heard tell that Jesus is the place where we need to take our very, very sick friend. And though the house is completely clamored with people, they climb up onto the roof, cut a hole, and drop their friend down in, in front of Jesus, on the off chance that he is the one thing to grab onto. See, it's a Sunday school answer because we've heard it said so many times, just grab on, you know, Jesus is our rock and he rolls our blues away. But at the end of the day, to grab onto Jesus is a massive risk. Because there are times when Jesus is the thing that's changing. Or our perception of Jesus is changing. But yet we've heard the stories. Just like the people in the New Testament. Just like generations of people between us. We've heard the stories of Jesus. We've seen the way Jesus has worked in the lives of our friends, in the lives of the people around us. And just like countless millions of other people, we are asked to take that one step, that one, the one right off the edge, to grab onto Jesus when everything else is changing around us. And it's Sunday school, but it's profound, so simple, yet so risky. We do it every week. As we approach the table of communion, every week we are doing this. We are banking that Jesus is still there. We are banking that when we grab onto Jesus' cloak or when we dangle our concern in front of him, that he is still who he was before and will still be who he said he was and who everyone around us has told us. We've heard the stories countless times. And people here have heard them countless times. And each time they're called to the table, they approach it with faith, trusting that that story is still true. Then there are people here who've heard the stories of Jesus. They've seen Jesus in the lives of other people, but they're still not ready to buy it. They're not ready to make that And that's okay. Jesus is still calling us. He's still saying, trust me. It's all going to be okay. The world is changing around you. And it's still going to be okay. If that's where you're at, you've heard the stories. It's not like it's news, but you're not ready yet. He's still calling. And this could be the first day that you step off the cliff. There are also people here who've probably never heard anything about Jesus. He's still calling us to make that first step 
So I posit to you that when your world changes around you in a way that you have no control over, you're going to grasp for something. You're going to reach for something because if you don't, you'll fall over. Make that knee-jerk reaction to grab onto Jesus and take that first step off the cliff. It's okay. We're going to approach the communion table together. Do this every week. I would like you, if you feel if you feel that if Jesus were to ask you today, come eat with me. Trust me. It's okay. If your answer would even be a hesitant yes, you are welcome to approach the table. This could be the first act of faith for you. This could also be the millionth act of faith for you. So simple yet so profound. The communion table will be open for the rest of service. I encourage you to approach it at your leisure. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for guiding us through change in our lives. Thank you for knowing us inside out and backwards, knowing that to grab onto you can be so simple, yet so risky. Thank you for loving us and for extending your hand to us. We ask as we meet you at table that you be real to us in the midst of our change and guide us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. The table will be open for the rest of service. You're welcome to approach it whenever you'd like. And the band will come back up and lead us for the rest of service in song.